Becky, thank you uh, very much. Shall we uh, bow our heads before we come to uh, read that passage from St. Paul? Another New Testament writer, the writer of the Hebrews, says these words. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Lord God, that is always true of your word, but it is especially true of this part of your word. Uh, None of us can read it without trembling at what it says, what it reveals about us and about our world. Uh, And we pray that as we look at it, it would be uh, our rule, your spirit would be our guide, and your glory would be our supreme concern. For your son's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, if you could keep that passage uh, from Romans in front of you, I'd be very grateful. Uh, Romans chapter 1 and uh, from verse 18. It's on page 1,128 if you've closed the Bible. Uh, I wonder, when was the last time you visited the doctor? Uh, If our congregation this evening is sort of typical of the population at large, um, it's likely that the women have been more, uh, more frequently than the men. Nobody quite knows why that is, but all the studies seem to suggest, essentially, it's because men never believe that the situation is bad enough to warrant going to the doctor. Uh, They think that a bit of paracetamol or some Lemsip or something will will, will sort it out, Uh, and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, There's a a US Department of Health ad which has put it like this. It simply says, stubbornness can kill. And in some cases, uh, that is definitely true. Putting off, going to the doctor, however painful it might be to hear the diagnosis, actually can lead to worse uh, situations further down the line. It's far better to face up to the truth uh, and to take the medicine than it is uh, to ignore it and die in denial. Well, if you were with us last week, uh, you'll know uh, we're preaching through Romans at the moment, and uh, last week we saw Paul... um, He'd introduced himself, and he'd announced the great theme of uh, the letter to the Romans. Uh, It is the gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You can see that in uh, verse 16 of chapter 1. It is a message of salvation. I suppose we could look at that slightly differently, uh, and we could say that the gospel that Paul proclaims is a message of rescue. That invites the question, doesn't it? From what do we need rescuing? Uh, And from this point in our uh, letter, from uh, verse 18, all the way through to verse 20 of chapter 3, uh, this is really Paul's answer. This is what we need rescuing rescuing from. It it is, I guess, his diagnosis of the terrible sickness that has afflicted afflicted, uh, the world, and to which the gospel that he proclaims is the only medicine. And the sickness that we find is sin and rebellion. And we see it in the outworking of the judgment of a God who is rightly angry at his people's rebellion. Let's look first at why God shows his wrath. Why does God show his wrath at all? And the answer that I think Paul gives us is quite simple. It is idolatry, human idolatry. Uh, Most preachers today treat the idea of a God of wrath like the Victorians treated sex. It's there, but it must never be mentioned. 
I read that recently, and uh, I thought that's very, very true. You could say that, not just of preachers, but of Christians in general. Uh, We never want to think of God as a God of wrath. It sort of conjures up ideas of nutty nutty people with sandwich boards, doesn't it, walking up and down um, uh, the high streets, or sort of extreme Presbyterians in some far corner of uh, the British Isles. And yet, we can't get away from it, can we? As soon as we read uh, verse 18, the start of our passage, we have to face up to it. Uh, Paul describes God as a God of wrath. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God for Paul is a God who is wrathful. What does he mean? Why? Why can he say that? Well, when we read of God's wrath, it's very easy, uh, I think, to misunderstand it. Uh, God's wrath is not like human anger. Uh, If you or I happen to be angry, uh, very often our anger is completely uncontrolled and unjustified. Uh, It can often come with a host of sort of unpleasant ingredients. So, for example, we might be angry because our pride has been damaged. Uh, We might be angry because we're a bit tired and grumpy. Or we might be angry because we're looking for revenge uh, against uh, someone. And by contrast, God's anger is never like that. It's never unjustified. And it's never uncontrolled. Uh, It's always fully righteous. It's fully just. It's fully good. It stands in settled, decided opposition to everything in the world that is sinful and that is evil. Uh, in the world that God created. So often our anger is irrational. If we think about it, there's not really a good reason for it. Just, we we do it. And yet God's anger is always completely rational. Uh, If we analysed it, we would see that it's entirely justified. Uh, It's the result of a calm, measured decision. It's not just that he's flown off the handle uh, and is completely, uh, hasn't thought about this at all. Uh, It is controlled, it's measured, it's decided. And yet at the same time, it's also deeply, deeply felt. Uh, God isn't like some kind of robot, a thinking machine, a bit like Sherlock Holmes or something like that. He feels his anger deeply. Uh, It's anger that arises out of his love. Uh, It is his decided loving anger against our rebellion against him. Uh, Think about it. If God wasn't angry at sin and rebellion and evil, uh, he would simply be indifferent, which actually isn't particularly loving at all. Uh, It would be dreadful if if we knew that God didn't really care about punishing the Jimmy Savills of this world or anyone else. Uh, We can praise God that in his love, he is also angry. He is angry at sin. But he's not just angry at people like Jimmy Saddles, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot, you name it. He is angry at us. Because we too have turned away from him and rejected him. Or why does God demonstrate his wrath against the world? And Paul says it is because the world in its sin has suppressed the truth about God. Uh, Verse 18 and following. Uh, Paul tells us that what can be known about God is plain to all of us, actually. Because God has made himself known in the world at large. Verse 19, he says, uh, since what may be known about God is plain to them, uh, because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Paul says that we can know about God's power. We can know about the fact that he is the supreme uh, divine being from the world around us. Which means that our decision to turn against him is totally uh, without foundation. Uh, We should be clear, Paul is not saying uh, that through creation we can come to a a saving knowledge of God. I don't think he is saying that. Uh, That can only come when the Holy Spirit works uh, by God's grace in our hearts to show us sin, to show us God's love for us in the Lord Jesus and to call us uh, to put our faith in that. But he is saying that the knowledge that God has given us is enough for us to know that God demands our worship and obedience. None of us uh, can say that we didn't know. All of us do. Uh, The truth is that actually, Paul says, we've done the opposite of what that knowledge should require. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. We've refused to give God the honour and the praise that he deserves. Instead, we've given it to idols, uh, counterfeit or false gods, we might like to call them. Uh, John Murray, one of the great commentators on Romans, uh, put it like this. Uh, The mind of man is never a religious vacuum. Uh, If there is the absence of the true, there is always the presence of the false. If there is an absence of the true there is always the presence of the false. In other words, what he's saying is that if we don't worship God, then inevitably we will always worship something else. Uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, said that the human heart is a factory of idols. We just keep making them. If we don't worship God, we worship something else. Well, the concept of idols seems a bit strange to us, doesn't it, in the 21st century? I guess we probably associate with kind of primitive people bowing down to silly statues of wood and stone. And yet the truth is, because the human heart doesn't change, it's just applicable to us as it always has been. Tim Keller, the American preacher, says this. (coughs) Excuse me. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what God alone can give you. Uh, From scripture it's clear that many things can be idols. Maybe it's a love for family that supplants the love that really should be given to God alone. Maybe it's a love for status or possessions or power. Uh, Perhaps it's an ideology that we trust above everything else. I've met people, for example, uh, who thought that politics or a particular form of political thinking... Uh, What's the answer to all the world's problems? It's idolatry. It is giving uh, uh, an ideological system, uh, a human system, the place that only God can have. Whatever it might be, ultimately it's taking the place that God should have. And because it comes through our decisions, ultimately what it is is that we are choosing to worship ourselves, not God. This is Paul's diagnosis. It's pretty grim, isn't it? He says it's true of every single one of us. It's true of all of you. It's true of me. It's true of every single person apart from the Lord Jesus who's ever lived. All of us have rejected the worship of God for the worship of ourselves. And we deserve God's righteous wrath. Why does God show wrath? Paul says it's because of idolatry.
Well, if you've seen why, Paul uh, says that God shows his wrath. Uh, let's look at the second half of the passage, which I think is his answer to how God shows his wrath. Uh, and the answer is quite simple. Uh, God shows his wrath in judgment. A few years ago, uh, I was uh, surfing in Cornwall with my brother. Uh, we had a great day uh, until towards the end. We were getting a little bit tired and a bit lazy, and we got caught in a rip current. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever done sort of surfing or sailing or anything, but a rip current is when the sea uh, tries to go back by the quickest route out further out to sea. Uh, most of the time, if you get caught in one, it, it's not a big deal, really. You just paddle out at 90 degrees, and you know, you'll, you'll eventually you'll get out of it. Uh, this particular rip current was the biggest rip current I've ever experienced, and it was really quite powerful. Uh, before we knew it, we were getting sucked well out to sea, uh, and it was really quite, quite unnerving and frightening. Uh, there is something scary, isn't there, about being caught up in something that just kind of seems beyond your control, in a way. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just kind of frantically paddling and trying to sort it out, and you're just going further and further and further and further out. And that sense of being caught in something that is beyond our control... Uh, I think he's here in this this second half of the passage. Uh, Paul shows us how God shows his wrath to the world. Uh, He says that in his judgment, he gives us over to do as we please. Uh, One commentator put it like this. It's a bit like God refuses to hold the boat as it's being dragged out by the river. Perhaps that's why I was thinking about my experience when I was surfing. It's a bit like we're in the boat and it's being carried away by the current and God just goes, right, I'm going to let go. In fact, actually, it's worse than that. If you read the passage, it's not just that God lets go of the boat. He actually gives it a push. He says, go on, have it your way. If that's how you like, you reject me, I shall reject you. We're not only abandoned by God, but the passage says that we're enslaved to our own sinful selves. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. How does this judgment show itself? Well, I think Paul gives us uh, three ways. Uh, Firstly, it's abandonment to sexual sin, and there was a kind of hint of that just there. We see that verses 26 through 27. Uh, Then it's an abandonment to all kinds of unrighteousness. That's the list that Paul gives us in uh, verse 28 and following. And then finally, it comes to a, a, a sort of culmination in abandonment to death, verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Uh, We're short on time tonight, so I can't discuss all of it. Uh, But I want to just spend some time thinking about the first one. Uh, It is the one I suspect that all of us are looking at and uh, wincing inwardly. It's a particular issue in society, and I do want to spend some time on it. In the last few years, uh, the whole issue of uh, sexual relations, particularly same-sex relationships, has rarely been out of the news, it seems. Uh, 2004, uh, same-sex couples were allowed to enter civil partnership. That was a big big moment uh, in uh, in our nation's history. Uh, In 2013, so just a couple of years ago, uh, the government then extended the law to allow same-sex couples to enter into civil marriage. Uh, Many of us, I'm sure, will know people, uh, perhaps, who are in a civil partnership or perhaps in a a same-sex marriage. Uh, It's become a hot topic in our our culture. Uh, And as society's attitudes have shifted, uh, so along with that, several church leaders have been encouraging 
the church, uh, Christians, uh, to, to think about revising our traditional position on, uh, on, uh, on same-sex relationships, on homosexuality. Uh, so Vicky Beeching, perhaps, would be one who we've, uh, we've seen who's said things like that. Uh, Steve Chalk, another person well-known in, uh, in Christian circles, another pastor who said that. Rob Bell over in the States has been quite uh, vocal on this as well. Uh, it may come as a surprise to us to realise that Scripture actually rarely talks about, uh, about homosexuality. This is one of the very, very few times that it's really uh, dealt with. Uh, but because it's one of the few times the scripture deals with it, it's worth spending some time uh, in these verses. Uh, it's a short section, but it is incredibly uh, significant and important. So I do want to just dwell on this for a moment. Uh, first of all, I want us just to look at the context of this passage, uh, verses uh, 24, 24 uh, through to 27. Uh, lots of people... Uh, have uh, tried to argue uh, that in this passage, uh, Paul isn't intending to teach on sexual relationships here. Uh, so for us to then say that, well, to sort of start teaching on it ourselves, uh, is basically completely wrong. We shouldn't be using this passage, they say, uh, to teach against homosexuality. Uh, and they're right in some senses. It's true that Paul's purpose in including this passage is not uh, to outline sort of sexual relationships 101, That's not what it's here for. Uh, It's in the wider context of understanding God's judgments against uh, human rebellion. And yet, even if Paul isn't intending to use this passage specifically to teach, uh, it is pretty clear that he holds up same-sex relations, same-sex activity, as a consequence of God's wrath. Uh, And therefore, we cannot say that it's pleasing to God. Uh, It clearly isn't his plan for the world. Uh, It may not be that this passage is written to teach us exactly about this issue, but still it's pretty clear. Uh, Homosexuality is not God's plan uh, for us and for the world. Uh, Secondly, let's have a look at the cultural context of this uh, passage. Uh, There are some people who have tried to argue that uh, what Paul is condemning here is not faithful, monogamous, same-sex relationships, so such as those in a civil partnership or a same-sex marriage, uh, but he's condemning uh, sort of abusive and unfaithful homosexual relationships, uh, particularly those involving older men and young boys. It was a sad fact in the ancient world. That was a pretty common thing to, uh, to happen. And it's true, I'm sure, that Paul had that in his mind. He'd probably seen it, uh, he'd heard about it, he would have known people who were involved in that. It was pretty common knowledge. Uh, He would have seen that. Uh, We can also say, though, that the concept of faithful same-sex relationships in the ancient world, I think, was largely unknown. Uh, It is largely a modern concept, I think. Uh, Others may choose to disagree on that, but I I would say I think it's, it's a fairly... It's not something that Paul would have really considered... Uh, But it seems to me here that Paul offers no such qualification at all. Uh, He doesn't say, I'm only talking to the abusive older guys who are um, abusing younger men here. He doesn't say that at all. He's pretty blanket, isn't he? Uh, He he just says uh, that um, 
Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men. Uh, There is no sense in which Paul is simply picking off a kind of homosexual minority here and saying, I'm I'm talking to you guys, the guys who are abusing uh, young boys or young women. Uh, Paul is talking about all who are involved in same-sex activity. It's not God's plan, he says. It's not right. Uh, We must conclude with him, uh, whether it's consenting same-sex activity, uh, whether it's faithful, long-lasting, whether it's abusive, all of it, uh, God God says, is wrong. All homosexual behaviour, says Paul, is an outworking of God's judgment. Well, thirdly, I want to just think about what does Paul mean when he describes same-sex relations as unnatural? Uh, I remember hearing a lecturer who was trying to claim uh, that it, it means essentially that Paul is describing relationships where it's heterosexuals, so people who are normally sexually inclined uh, to the opposite sex are involved in, in homosexual uh, activity. Uh, they are, in a sense, going against their natural orientation, Some have suggested we should read this passage uh, like that. And and in many ways, it's quite attractive, I think. Uh, And there's lots uh, that we would probably like to say about that. Uh, It's true that uh, bisexual activity was, again, very common in the ancient world. Uh, Many of the Roman emperors, for example, uh, had male lovers, even whilst they uh, were, uh, were married. And yet, when Paul talks about things being natural and unnatural here, uh, he's not talking about human feelings. It's not something that's subjective, that changes. Uh, One day we're uh, homosexual, one day we're heterosexual. Uh, What it means is it's referring to God's fixed plan in creation. Uh, To act unnaturally here is to act contrary to God's intentions for the world. Uh, It is to rebel against God's fixed plan the way that God intended life to be. Uh, In fact, it's actually what all of us have done, whether it's uh, in the area of sexual relations or whether it's in all these other things that Paul lists, whether it's uh, in our envy, uh, our strife, whether it's in the fact that we're gossips, uh, whether we're slanderers, whether we've even disobeyed our parents. Uh, All sin is a rejection of God's plan and a decision to go it in our way. Uh, We can't therefore say that this passage is simply uh, about people who are going against what is natural uh, for them. The truth is that what God has created us for is to live for him and for his plan. Uh, Our natural desires are not natural at all. They are sinful desires, actually. Our hearts, as we heard in the Gospel reading, from out of our hearts come all these wicked things because our hearts are damaged. Uh, We cannot say that. God's plan is that we live for him, not for ourselves. I don't know why Paul has particularly singled out same-sex relationships uh, for attention in this chapter. I wish I did know. It makes things a lot easier in many ways. Uh, I can guess at it. Uh, my personal opinion, for what it's worth, is that it was probably a particular problem among the Roman Christians, maybe in their own fellowship, or perhaps in the fact they were living in a culture where this was a particular problem. I don't know. Uh, But whatever our sexual inclination, uh, ultimately the the, the picture is clear. All of us have rejected God's rule 
whether it's in the area of sexual relations, whether it's in the area of some of these things uh, that Paul mentions or that the Lord Jesus himself mentioned in our gospel reading. All of us have rejected God's rule. We've decided to live for ourselves. And God's judgment is that we be given over to our own desires. And ultimately, if we carry on, to be banished from his presence forever. Uh, For some of us this evening, I I want to say that this issue of same-sex attraction will be really, really real. Maybe it's something we're wrestling with. Maybe it's something one of our friends is wrestling with or or family. Uh, And I want to to encourage you uh, that whatever our state, whether we're homosexual, whether we're heterosexual, we're wrestling with all kinds of different issues. Uh, The good news of the Bible is that God loves us and he only wants the best for us. Uh, He wouldn't tell us this if it wasn't for our good, ultimately. It's like the doctor telling us uh, the the true state of our condition. We'd much rather he told us it was meningitis than just flu. We don't want him to just give us paracetamol when we really need something much stronger. Uh, God always wants the best for us. He tells us this for our good because he loves us. He wouldn't say it if it wasn't ultimately for that. Uh, He is in judgment over us. But he does it uh, for uh, his glory and because he loves us. Well, I was reminded of a quote from T.S. Eliot when I was reading this. It said that humankind cannot bear too much reality. Uh, And I wonder if that's our thoughts uh, really at the end of this passage. It's a difficult one to hear, isn't it? Believe you me, it's difficult to preach on as well. Uh, But it is right that we hear Paul's diagnosis. Because if we don't hear the diagnosis, uh, we will never seek the medicine. Praise God in his love. He doesn't hide the truth from us. He tells us it straight. He tells us of our sinful hearts and his wrath against sin. And I pray for all of us that he might grant us grace to come to him afresh for forgiveness and to receive the treatment and to uh, come back to his loving arms. Let's pray, shall we? God, we do read this passage and we tremble. Uh, Whatever our uh, state of our hearts, all of us know that we have turned against you, we've rebelled. Uh, None of us are fit to stand in your presence. And we do thank you that you you tell us the truth. You don't mislead us. And we pray that uh, you would speak your truth to us this evening. Please help us not to forget it as we walk out of this place. But we pray that we'd come back to you. Thank you that you have made a way for us to come back. We will think of that as we take bread and wine. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we pray that we'd come back to you and know that love for ourselves. Amen.